The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Good to see you back for the second part of my conversation with Hannah Schmidt about the smiling gecko and also about him as the illustrious person that he is. His wonderful career as a star photographer, be it in the music business or the fashion business. So much he lived through, so many insights he's going to share with us. You know, you don't need to know everything, but you can go and ask people. And funny enough, if you go and ask people, they support you. If you always think you know everything, nobody supports you. So this is a bit my my way, uh, uh, quick learning, quick understanding, packing everything in what I learned in my life, my experience. And this leads to something. And then you have to have stamina. Don't give up. Make mistake. Put them aside. Learn from your mistake. Go on. Go on. Go on. Go on. Try to to trust your your idea. Welcome to the Mentor TV podcast and stay curious with Patricia Falco Becali. You have a luxury school. I said, do I have a luxury school? Education is money. How much money? How many billion do we invest in education? And then is another thing. We as parents here, right? We give life skills. Well, we actually crazy. We train our children like the monkeys who fly to the moon. When they can crawl forward, they have to crawl backward. When they stay on two legs, they have to stay on one leg, right? Could they can actually do like this with the head and they have to hold the violin and they're not even big enough and they have to play piano. So we investing before they go to school, hell of a lot of money. And we know kids costing millions a year. This doesn't exist in the third world. Their parents have nothing. They can't read. They can't write. They don't have a toilet. They don't have a bed. They don't have a teddy bear they can cuddle up. There's no mother who's telling them a story at night. We, we should look onto this human capital. And that's where no money or very little money inefficient is always. They put money in PPP, in corporations, in uh, building roads and building stuff. It's okay. Red tape, but red tape, bureaucracy, people involved. Why, but but it's, yeah. it's the wrong way. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, for me, it's a lot of money. We're spending, I'm spending the donation. But it's peanuts. It's a couple of million dollars. And what we reach, what we can achieve with this little money, if you have an economical understanding that the fact is, if you give me one million, I don't have pay, have to pay you back. I don't have to pay interest. And actually, I don't even have to tell you what I do with it. You know, I send you a report, right? Can you have a match in a corporation? UBS gives you 10 million and say, look, all right, we don't want anything from you. Just spend it the way you want. I mean, this is 
the advantage we have as an NGO. But then we should take the money and yeah. we should use it like investments, like cooperation. We need audits. We need to know. We need to have market researchers. We need to know what is possible to do with that. Exactly. And that is the crucial point here. And I think we need to get into, you know, moving from an NGO that gets the money and nobody even cares as long as they've got their tax deduction on one hand into something that is really changing in a sustainable way in the long term and can be scalable because it's profitable. And at the end of the day, I pulled out the latest data for you um, when it comes to impact investing. And I would like to move into that kind of uh, conversation with you as well, simply because that for me in my head is like kind of the next step. And there is a lot of scope, you know, uh, room to grow and to the upside in, um, in impact investing. Because impact investing, especially in 2020, has started to show quite a bit of traction. It's been going on for quite a while, but the 2020 annual impact investor survey said from all of the questioned uh, people, asset managers, they managed to gather about 404 billion US dollars. 69% of these managers expect impact investing to grow steadily and 21% describing the market as about to take off. So I wonder, Hannes, whether impact investing, now that ESG is more or less going from boutique to mainstream or main street, you know, that we have this kind of traction also in impact investing, because that would change the reality of Smiling Gecko big time, that you say, I've established a project that is more than a project because it is break even, it's making money with a fish farm, with the farms, uh, you know, uh, the, the hotel, you have a hotel as well. I, I don't know whether you do have the cooking school, but you do have something, a carpentry you have down there. And these are all jobs that you created, you educated the people, they are now producing goods, you know, professionally produced goods, which are sellable. So you are at a point where you are break even and possibly beyond making for investors a return on their investment? Well, there is a big misunderstanding. Investing always means paying back and paying interest. Now, if you're in agriculture like we are, agriculture is the highest risk you have. You're not getting money under 12, 14%, and you have to pay back your 100, 200,000 in between three years. Because investors, and I had to learn, their job is to make money. It's the same, don't go to a bank and ask for philanthropy money. That business is to make money. Even if they have a foundation in the bank, they want to make more money than actually the other, and they have goals, right? So the problem is that we cannot take investments. There's another thing. If I take an investment uh, in my carpentry, uh, first of all, I would have to take my carpentry out of the NGO right? Also for liability reason. Well, the donations I cannot put back into the carpentry anymore because it's a corporation. The law, the regulations in Switzerland and any other country, if it's philanthropy money, I cannot put it into corporation. It's not possible. I cannot pay back as an NGO and I cannot pay interest. It's also not the right way to go. You have to understand like just UN actually published, we are again another 15 year being put back to this crisis. Why are we back, put back in this because this present because there is no there is infrastructure of roads but there is no human capital infrastructures that means human capital investments in that it takes 20 years yeah. so i can 20 years i cannot pay back 20 years and in our positions we are 
I, my, my plan is from an NGO into a social enterprise, into an enterprise, but to become a social enterprise, regulations and laws have to be changed. The Swiss government have to allow me a certain amount of my donations or my grants to be put into this kind of half cooperation. Same, the, the, the Cambodian government has to allow me that because as soon as I'm a corporation, they're going to tax me. So impact investment is not for NGOs. This is for corporations. And this is the very big problem we have. But it is stupid because... Uh, NGOs, they are rooted, they're a long time there, and we have to force NGO become more economical thinking, to have an audit, to go step by step, uh, to have partners, not partners giving you money alone, money like universities help you to develop science, uh, like we have in Plenia, we have Sika, we have all, they lift their corporate social responsibility through us, right? And this is our big sell, is CSR. Every company today have to do CSR, and when it's even related with what they do, I mean, Sika is one of the largest company for these uh, concrete additives. Uh, in Plenia, one day we probably will like to go to Asia to do construction because you cannot make money anymore here. So actually, we are, NGOs could be the top of the spear for the next 20, 30 years of economy. And also, the human capital we're going to build in the next 20 years. If you take in 2030, 50% of the Swiss are over 65. They don't work anymore. They're pensioners. They mean they cost money. Now we have another 50% love. Half of them go to school and they go for, for universities and, and learn and study. And then we have 25% of the working capital we have here, human capital, we have to find all this, what we have, to maintain our social institution, our roads, our clean water, everything. It's not going to work. So that means we need to build up very strong economies outside, educate the people so they can make business, they can start companies, they can have an innovation, so that they have the money to buy our products who are mainly based in the next 50 years on innovation capital and not on growing rice in Switzerland or you know what. I mean, this is what we have to understand. We have to invest money over the next 15 years where in 15 years, yes, it will pay out. In 15 years, I can dislocate one of my NGO corporation, like my carpentry, but by then, they need to be stable in the market. They need to produce products, right? They need to have the local people have to be able to run, and not again the Chinese, the Vietnam, and the Europeans. But for this, I need the time because we have to build all this up. And this time, we need money who is philanthropic and is money where we can't pay. But if, say, as a sample, in Plenia, is with us for the next 15 years, we build the base that in 50 years they can start a cooperation. We have educated the people, we have educated the management, they bring a little bit of their know-how, and they can move from Switzerland there. And where is the biggest growing economy in the next 30 years? Well, a big part of is Asia, is ASEAN. And, and we have to go there. But it's not going there and build a little cooperation and then we have this PPP finances. I mean, they support, like the government support the company who goes there, builds a company, builds a machine, and the product we produce and it's going to be put back to Switzerland or to Germany. And then the government is matching. Is this the wrong way? It's not the way it works. Right? But, yeah, and, yeah. Well, if I just may interject there, and I think I just had an epiphany with you because, uh, you know, for me, of course, I'm an investor and I like uh, impact investing. And Bertrand Badré, he, with his uh, blue, cap blue orange capital, he does impact investing as well. So there's a lot where people have seemed to move on into a 
business, a small business, a highly risk business in these kind of precarious countries and circumstances and hope eventually to have some return. But what you are saying is we need to build first the groundwork. And this is what we are doing right. with the help of grants that whatever we are building with a smiling gecko is actually Uh, first of all, stimulating the local economy, our products being bought by the local economy, our uh, educated guys setting up in their local economy, becoming richer than buying. And this is where we get to a certain level that we have more and more potential entrepreneurs that have real businesses, not NGOs, but registered businesses with all yeah. the governance around it and the tax issues as well that potentially can be then investment targets. Did I get that right? That's correct. It's like, it's like, you see, like, as a sample with us, uh, we are in fish. Uh, uh, we have one of the largest science center in Asia. I mean, we produce the healthiest fish. Uh, it, it's, it's organic, right? And, and now, uh, what is the return? for the Swiss ETH. Now we're discussing to build an university of applied science. Why? We have to study tropical uh, uh, agriculture. And not only that, we need local agriculture engineers. Well, we have them, they go, they study is theoretically. But the ZHAW where it is applied science, I mean, you study and you do it and you study and you do it and get a different understanding. This is what we need in the long run. It's the benefit for us. So that is payback in completely different ways. But we building the base. It took us a hundred years in Switzerland till we are established like today. You know, the farmers, they had no work in the winter, so they started to do stitching and, and waving and out of this, actually, the whole industry started, the garment industry started, right? But that's where we are. We are, we are somewhere 60, 80 years back. And of course, Cambodia is special because the Red Khmer, they wiped everything out, who had a more or less a little bit an IQ and uh, were wearing glasses who could read and write. So this is even more on top of it. But we have to understand, we cannot put money, the money we make as Smiley Gecko, we have to reinvest in that human capital. We have to reinvest into the farmers. We have to reinvest into the development. Agriculture, you cannot do this like this in one month, it's not working. So we have, it's a different way of thinking what we have to go for. It's a long term. It's like family businesses. They invest in the next generation in the next 15, 20 years. And out of the family businesses became large corporations at the end, right? Because okay. they invested over this long yeah, time. Dynasties. So this, yep. this, for me, this is a narrow thinking, putting in one million and then three years out to keep it, uh, taking out uh, two million. It's not working. We don't have the chance. You can, of course, build up. Well, where did we make money with, this, with these countries? Slavery, 1.9 million women in garment factories with 11 and 14 cents. No health insurance, no compensations, right? Not even food, right? And they only get money when they work. Well, we had on the 22nd of February, 2020, we got hit by, by COVID. The factories were closed. 1.6 million people were out of work. There was not one little penny of compensation. They had to go to the countryside. They had already no money on the countryside and not enough to eat. This is a big disaster. And there's not much aid coming from the outside. The government is not interested. You know, they just cut all the salaries. They closed for over 14 months the schools. They're not because they had to, no, because they didn't have to pay the, the teacher's salaries. Exactly. It's convenience. It's convenience. It's yes. convenient, right? And, and I mean, you see, we have to understand that these systems, and I hope that COVID helps us to understand that we have to allocate this money in a different way. Yes. We are proof. I can tell you with our data we have with everything, we can prove it works, but it's a long time investment. You know, that's what it is.
Yes, and I'm I'm looking so much forward to coming actually to Cambodia and uh, you know spending some time with you guys down there uh, in the hotel. It looks absolutely fantastic. And Cambodia, you were just saying, is a special place. It's a special place to me. This is where we chose to have our honeymoon with um, my husband, and it was really the juxtaposition of the place we were, which is paradise in terms uh, in terms of nature. And then we actually ventured out in the local fishing village, and I just thought, okay. This is not real. This is Disneyland. They did that on purpose for us tourists. So we would, you know, give them donations and money. And we had the local guide there. And he said, no, this is not put on. This is really what the majority of our population lives like. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, it was flabbergasting and shocking. And that really, for the first time, raised the flag. I always knew there's poverty. I always knew there's people that live below $5, $2, or even $1 a day but that they wouldn't even have the basics and really live in no. rubbish, not surrounded by rubbish, but in rubbish in was, was a real eye-opener, Hannes. And uh, yeah, as I say, what you are doing is, is amazing. And I, and I think it is scalable as a project. And you were saying already that right, you have right, other right. governments looking at uh, what you're doing already. Right. Now, just to, to wrap up this part of our conversation before we go a little bit more into uh, Hannes Schmidt and your illustrious personality, which you've been displaying for the the past, you know, 40 minutes with me here on, on Mentory TV. What are the key messages you would send out to the governments that spend these billions of or hundreds of billions of dollars uh, on aid? What to look out for, where the money really goes? What do you think are the critical points? No, I think uh, we're running the system in philanthropy, government or private, like we did 20 years ago. Nothing has changed. So we have to start to rethink. There is a different mindset, you know. We have to, we have to look, as I said, uh, a lot of things comes here from the top down. When I'm in Davos, when I'm sitting with the 19 institutions who are actually running the SDGs, right, I'm always surprised how little they knowledge they really had for grassroots from you need to come from the bottom up and you need to come from the top down and then you meet in the middle. First of all, you can your time can cut in half, right? But that is very little understanding, a small sample. You know, I, I mentioned on this big meeting with everybody, I said, but what is my interest? I'm also a corporation to put money in the SDG. What do I get back? Well, you know, okay, you feel good and you help the world and the poor people. I said, yes, okay, but I have shareholders. Uh, my shareholders say, are you guys crazy? You know, we make little profit. We're not going to give you profit away. I said, well, we have two corporations who have understood in Switzerland to do the things right. They said, oh, okay, yes. I said, they bought orange. One is called Migro and the other is Coop. And when I'm with Migro, I have a Cumulus card there, right? Each time I buy something, I get points. And at the end, I get the points back. That maybe make me going to the Migro. Why don't we make a Cumulus card for the SDGs? Mm -hmm. Well, because uh, if I spend so much money and it's still government money, maybe I get a tax exemption of a half a percent of a percent. So suddenly I have arguments how I put the money in there. But then at the end, the system, it's not holistic. We always go only fraction. It's like you have a cut, you put a plaster, a cut, you have yes. a plaster. Yes. And that's why we have to change. The governments, even, even data, they use us as a model. They want to become partners with us, but not to give us money to copy our system. Right, and I always say, hey, but first you have to put over a check. I mean, we invest. Exactly, we are selling you our idea. Exactly, right. You know, otherwise, yeah, otherwise we then finally like China. You know, yeah, you can copy everybody else's, right? But it, 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 the people who are in there, 
are still the same people. The system the governments have, four years, four years, another four years, still the same system. And they tell me always, we like to be like you, but we cannot be like you. Right? Uh, yeah, it's these private initiatives, it's like this kind of thing, but governments, they, 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 and also institutions like UN, they, they like the Titanic, they are tankers, right? Until they start to turn around, it probably takes many years. What we are working now is with PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers, with the advisory department. Uh, you know, I'm the little Hannes Schmidt. Even I got a, a, a doctor title from the University of Zurich, I'm a nobody. And we have to prove to McKenzie, to PwC, to to Ernst and Young, you know, the big consultants, that this is an economical kind of subject. And if we don't do that, we will have a hard time, even more hard time in the future. And that's what we have to understand. And then maybe there is a rethinking if you have this big brains, you know, the ones who studied the last 50 years, the big brains, if they start to agree that this is something. But realistically, it will take a long time. It will take a long time and you know, the big brain's thinking, but one thing is to have the theory and then putting your money where your mouth is and enacting, implementing. And then of course, with that comes the question, exactly how? And this is where sometimes, <laughs> sometimes uh, the system breaks down. Hannes, I think the Smiling Gecko is an amazing, you know, life project, as you were saying. And you are certainly everything but the little Hannes Schmidt. And we're going to talk about you right now, but I think Anybody, uh, you know, check it out on the website, Smiling Gecko. It is awesome. As I said, I am heavily vested into it with my heart and I'm trying to support, you know, support the, uh, this NGO as much as I can, be it with my contacts, um, etc. So uh, really, Hannes, really, really good. Next chapter. The little Hannes Schmidt is just a star photographer, a star artist that eventually then founded Smiling Gecko, which is also rising to become uh, an NGO star. And um, your career started as a photographer uh, at a young age. And then by, I don't know what it was, but it was, I guess, because you were meant to be, you started uh, taking pictures of the biggest American or international rock stars, such as Deep Purple, for example. Tell us a little bit about that world, that Hannes Schmidt back then, compared to the Hannes Schmidt that you are right now. You know, I'm born 1946, and uh, uh, very poor family. I was co-peter. We didn't have money, so I had to work in the summers. Uh, my school was very bad. I only have six-year primary, two-year secondary school, right? And and I was always a very curious kid, right? So then the only thing I was able to do was an apprenticeship as an electrician, right? And in '68, I thought, oh, Switzerland is a bit small for me, so I immigrated to Cape Town, and there I was working for a German company, and we had a very big salaries actually compared. To to the rest of it, but actually we didn't have enough work. So I was buying a camera and started taking pictures, right? And it's fascinating me because nobody asked me anymore who I am. I was a photographer, right? And I was like, I had access everywhere, the black community, the white community, rich community, and that fascinated me. So I started traveling four years through Africa at that time. And uh, unfortunately, there was no laboratory, so I had to send my films back to my sister, but she would never send me the picture back. She was writing to me, both studies, done this, and oh, I think there was a good 
good one, but the rest looks very dark and very bright. <laughs> so four years, I've never seen a picture. And oh, I came back. I was disappointed. I moved on to, to Singapore and then uh, was living nearly one year with the orangutans in Bandara Ache and the orangutan rehabilitation stations. And after I tried to find Michael Rockefeller in Irian Jaya, he was disappeared in 64. Uh, he lived with Danis and Lanis, Stone Age people and cannibals. And then I was very sick, came back and was one year in the hospital. And then I had a friend, he worked for a record company. So he said to me after the hospital time, he said, hey, have you ever been on a concert? I said, no, never before. Said, you have to come. There's a crazy concert. It's a crazy band. They called Status Quo. They play in the Halle Stadion, 10,000 people. So I went there. Well, what I found there was actually my cannibals. They all were shaking their hands and they were shaking their cats. And, and the music was terribly it was loud it, it didn't sound right and the people went crazy so i started to take some pictures i was invited for dinner and at dinner the band i was early the band came in and then Rick Parfit, Francis Rossi, long hair, you know, said, oh, who is this guy? And then my friend, he's a photographer, said, oh, get out of here. We don't want to eat with photographers. He said, no, 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 he's a crazy guy. He used to eat rats and mouses. He used to live in cannibals. So I told him my story, right? After the dinner, the manager came and said, did you really take a picture of cannibals? I said, yeah, kind of. Then you have to shoot my band. So the next day, I had a photo session. You know, and for them, I was not a photographer. So it was the most amazing pictures. The manager said to me, do you need a job? I need a guy like you. You know, they hate photographers. Everybody hates photographers, but you can travel with us. So two days later, I packed my little suitcase and I started traveling nine years, uh, uh, 257 bands from ABBA to Set Zappa. I was their private photographer. I was in their home. I, I spent holidays with them. I was on tour with them and I have over 70,000 pictures in my rock archive. And from there then, it went into fashion through Nina Hagen. You know, she uh, was a, Big German star. I know. I grew up with Nina. Actually, had so, a so yeah. they, they started a, a GQ in Germany. That was Men of Walk, and they wanted her on a cover. So she went to London with a, uh, Patrick de Machilier, a famous fashion photographer. But she showed him the finger because he treated her like a model. And she said, I'm a rock star. I want Hannes. So they became, had a dilemma because Hannes had no idea about fashion. So I went to London and we took like stupid pictures. He was halfway dressed in a, in a laundry uh, salon where she washed her clothes and we were stealing a baby on the street from a guy and she pretended she's a mother and all this kind of crazy thing. They printed it and it was a sensation. Then Women Walk came, right? And I did the first fashion story. I climbed the Eiger Sanction because I thought, well, you know, all these girls posing and blue side. This is not winter. It's cold. It's like storms. So I climbed the Eiger Sanction and this opened the world. Two weeks later after publication, I was in Paris with Kenzo and my huge career as a fashion photographer, Gucci, Prada, Armani, Vogel, Harpers started. Then after uh, around um, uh, 2000, uh, and three, uh, I was taking on into into the big advertisement world, uh, Camel, Camel Trophy, and then Marlboro. And out of that, I started to do my own work, started to go into the arts. And uh, that's that's how I became what I am today. Exactly. It is amazing, that trajectory, you know, from uh, somebody that became an electrician, then found the uh, camera, the camera becoming a passepartout and then really opening a couple of the most glamorous and secluded worlds, be it, be it the rock star, the singers, and also, let's say, the, uh, the fashion world. But let me do the last screen share for our, for our session, Hannes. And that is, if I find it, that is uh, when you actually set out to do the American myth. And that is where you uh, started taking... Uh, the pictures of 
cowboys, real cowboys, you know, and this is uh, where the Marlboro man really was depicted most beautifully. And let me just, without much ado, maybe you want to say a couple of things whilst I'm scrolling through them, but these were the ones that really captured me. And you are sitting in front of one of your uh, fantastic photos as well. These were shot by you. Yeah, that was shot by me. What you see behind me is not a photograph, it's a painting, because I've been forced in 2013 uh, to, uh, no, in 2003 to become a painter, because uh, one of the most famous American contemporary artists, Richard Prince, he was ap appropriating my work. So he photographed my work and he removed the Marlboro sign. They looked like this, more or less. And uh, he became through this very famous. And my work in 2003 was actually sold for uh, 600, 700, 900,000 dollar today they go for 2.1 million to 3.4 million i'm not getting anything uh, because he is an, uh, an appropriation artist right uh, his his motto is stolen but original but then because I, i i couldn't go out with my photographs because then i would be more or less a plucky art uh, to reach a prince i had to find a, a change of the media so i had to learn to paint uh, it took me five years to learn to paint and over through this painting suddenly i was in new york and had a huge exhibition, the Whitney Museum awarded one of my paintings as the best artwork of the year, right? And suddenly I had press and then they discovered I have rock stars. So then a, a book has been published, uh, rock stars. And with this book, I was on tour like a, a rock star from all the radio stations in Germany, in France, in England and everywhere else. And that was that kind of twist becoming An artist, you know, I mean, uh, well, an artist, what is an artist? We are good handcrafted, we're good, we good workers, right? And it's the society, it's the outside who decide what is art and what is not art, right? And uh, But it was amazing for me, but also through uh, the sales that I had with, uh, with, sorry, sorry, I'm messing okay. up here. All the sales we could achieve with, with the museum's exhibition, I was able to finance uh, Smiling Gecko. And actually, all our family money we made with our art went into there. So, you know, it's a lot. My, I, my life is very crazy. It comes one to one. And people always say, why, why can you do this? Why? I think I'm very curious. I'm not afraid to take a risk, or for me, it's not even a risk, but I want to go forward. I want to, I want to, I want to grow. I want to develop. And uh, I, when I got my title as, a, as an honored doctors, you know, it was a big ceremony here. And, uh, you know, there were other guys, they also got these honored doctors, but they had amazing curriculums, you know, Berkeley and Howard and Weisenrod. And then I came, and then uh, my, 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 my professor who awarded me, you know, uh, said, oh, he, he's Hannes Schmidt, he has six years of uh, primary and <laughs> two years of secondary. It was that quiet. In there. Yes. And then I had to speak, right? And I said, look, I do understand. But I always believed that I should get a doctor title. Well, then it was quite the game, you know? And I said, I will tell you why, because I know, I know nothing. And because I know nothing, I go ask people who know something. But I always ask three. And then I make up my, which one I can trust the most. And then, of course, everybody clapped and wondered. But this is the system. You, you know, you don't need to know everything. Absolutely. But you can go and ask people. And funny enough, if you go and ask people, they support you. If you always think you know everything, nobody supports you. So this is a bit my, my way. Uh, uh, quick learning, quick understanding, packing everything in what I learned in my life, my experience. And this leads to something. And then you have to have stamina. Don't give up. Make mistake, 
put them aside, learn from your mistake, go on, go on, go on, go on. Try to, to trust your, your idea, but always listen to other people, consult other people. And that's what Smiling Gecko is about. This is a huge pot of knowledge created by all these people. And I'm the guy with the flag, you know, the guy who plays the whistle and everybody follows him behind, right? But also, that's my biggest problem because it's still a lot on me. It's on my head. I'm 75 years of old. I just had a heavy accident. I had a heart attack, right? So how do I secure that? Uh, usually when that figure is gone, it's got very difficult. But my economical vision that Smiling Echo by 2025 have to be independent financially, it doesn't need me anymore because they don't have to look for money. So they can develop themselves, right? So this is a, a different kind of approach because you start to realize you cannot do this forever. And yes. I cannot be replaced. There's not another guy like me. There's maybe another guy in a different way. But people are relating on you. They trust you. Uh, they listen to my talks. They, you know, they're fascinated by that. And, and uh, that's the difficulties. When do you make this break? And that's why I'm building up Smiling Echo on a very high, completely economical, like a corporation, incorporate. Uh, now we have over 10,000 people actually more or less living with us. We have 255 employees. We have the same health standard, uh, salary standards like here. So that's what you have to do to secure actually your exit. And yes. And but there's two exits. One exit, you can become a member here, you know, so you yes, can disappear no, in I don't think without paying. No. <laughs> but you need to have an exit, an exit strategy. That's what you need to have. Absolutely. And also, my, the responsibility is so big uh, that it really it kills you because I cannot walk away anymore. Yeah, possible. no, and Hannes, I think your KPI of making uh, Smiling Gecko self-sufficient by 2025 is something that when I look at the project and you and also... Uh, Alain Bina, who is the CEO of Smiling Gecko, you know, this is this is just a winning team and I totally trust. And just for the other viewers that are not sitting in Switzerland, Switzerland has this organization called Exit, uh, which is an organization you can become a member of and then you can choose whenever you would like to exit this world. So this is something that is legal, that is supported, and you are free to choose whenever you would like to exit this beautiful world. And with that, Hannes, I say thank you so much for your time. You mentioned it. You had only about three weeks ago a huge skiing accident. You had a heart attack. You're sitting in front of the camera. Nobody knows it, but with, a, you know, a nursing leg to say it just in that way. What you're doing is amazing. And what I hear in the last few sentences was that Stay curious, guys. And as I believe truly, because I've been studying almost five years now, also Kabbalah, we are not here to be, but we are here to become. And if you have this kind of mindset, the only way is always to progress, to move forward, and to look at the how to do that the best way. You're correct. I can't add anything better. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Hannes. And thank you, dear Mentory TV community, for having joined us yet again for an awesome conversation, this time with Hannes Schmidt about Smiling Gecko and him as the grand star artist that he really is, apart from a fabulous person. So thank you. See you soon and stay thank curious. You. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. 
follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa One, to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, and wherever you get your podcasts.